Now, with that, let's go ahead and jump into the message today. We are in week three of our series entitled, Not a Pinstroke. And in this series, we have been looking at the Old Testament law that God gave to the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. And if you remember right, the Old Testament is before Christ. It's everything that happened before Jesus came and walked on earth. And everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. That's very important to understand when you start to study the Old Testament. Everything here is pointing to Jesus. And so the reason why there's not one pinstroke of the law will pass away is because Jesus himself, that it would not pass away. We are, we are benefited, we are enriched when we study the Old Testament law because we see who Jesus is and we see how to relate to him. We get a better visual and a better understanding of the work of Christ through worship. We get a better understanding of the work of Christ through our, our lifestyle and sanctification. We look at the Old Testament law because we see the standard that God was laying out for us. Now, for context of what we're about to read, just as a refresher, in the passage, God is speaking to Moses. He has already laid out the Ten Commandments, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. And the fundamental understanding of the Ten Commandments is that we are to love God and love people. Then God started to lay out how we are to relate to our neighbor. And we looked at that last week, that there are different standards that God has for how we interact and how we deal with one another. And I challenged you last week that this this past week, you were to look for opportunities to be a blessing to someone else. You were to look for an opportunity to, to go out and to show the love of Christ in the community. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I remembered. So did you do it? There's some nervous laughter like, <laughs> don't ask me. Now God is shifting and he's teaching the Moses. He's teaching Moses and the people how to relate to God in worship. And so we're going to jump into the scripture today, beginning in Exodus chapter number 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Exodus chapter number 23, and we're going to start reading in verse number 10. And here's what the scripture says. For six years, you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat and that they leave the beast of the fields may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyards and with your olive orchards. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your donkey and your ox may have rest, and that your son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread as I commanded you. You shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for it is in it that you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty handed. You shall keep the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you have sown into the field. You shall keep the feast of the end gathering at the end of the year when you are to gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all of your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leaven, or let the fat of my feast remain until morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's 
milk. So what we just have here is uh, where God is laying out different opportunities in which people were called to worship. And the line that really stuck out to me in this passage is, is that you are not to appear empty-handed. And the title of my message today is not empty-handed. And in this message, we're going to be looking at the principles of worship. Now, before we dive into this conversation, we have to narrow down what we're talking about when we say worship. When we throw out the word worship, a lot of different images and ideas can come to our mind. In the pagan world, if we were to say worship, we would think about a group of people bringing an offering to a temple or a sacrifice to the temple. I got the opportunity to go on a mission trip. I've told you this before, and we landed in Malaysia for a few days. And as you walk down the road, almost every corner, there were these little booths to the different gods that they worshiped. And every morning, people would come out to those booths and they would leave different fruits and vegetables as an offering to the gods. And they did that so they could garner favor from the gods, so the gods would look well upon them. And that's what they would call their worship. If you were in a Muslim country, they, they bow down five times a day. Again, when I was in, in Malaysia, there was a large Muslim po- uh, population there. And in every room that you went into, if you looked up on the ceiling, you would see a little round gold emblem with an arrow on it. And that arrow was pointing towards Mecca so that if you were in that room when the call to prayer was given, you would know what direction to bow and to start to pray towards Mecca. They would call that worship. However, probably the biggest difference in worship perhaps is in the Christian church. The variety of worship that you'll find in the Christian church is quite staggering, actually. If you grew up in a high church setting, worship involved taking communion and saying the liturgy every week. If you were in the Church of Christ, worship was singing without music. Charity had a lot of Church of Christ friends when we were growing up, and and it was quite interesting to hang out with them because you'd be eating lunch or you'd be hanging out at one person's house, and next thing you know, one person starts singing and everybody breaks out into song. And, and I thought it was kind of a weird thing that they did, but that's how they worshiped. And that was happened all the time. And Church of Christ people, they can all sing because they have to hear themselves. If I sing, it's like, that's terrible. But Church of Christ people sound really good. When the Bible says, make a joyful noise, God was not speaking to me. <laughs> I promise you that. If you're in a Baptist church, worship tend to be more focused on congregational singing. If you're in a Pentecostal church, well, it can get interesting, to say the least, right? I remember when we first started going to church, my my family went with me to church when we were little, and my mom was excited because she's like, we're going to a holy roller church, you know what I mean? They swing from chandeliers over there, you know? She was excited about it. So there's a lot of types of worship. There's a lot of different expressions of worship. Then when I was growing up, there was a big debate about style of worship. There was a big argument that took place in a lot of churches. Do we sing out of a book or off the wall? You know, I mean, do you guys remember those days? Many a church fights happened over the book or the wall. What do we need to see in all this? And the point for this message is that the style nor the energy determine the quality or the heart of worship. And that's what God was calling these people to understand in the passage. The content of the worship determines if the worship is authentic authentic, and if it's acceptable to God. The point of this message is not style. So if you're hearing me today and you say, well, Austin's talking about different style or energy of worship, we're missing the point. The point of this message is about content of worship. 
You can be singing without music and have the truest form of worship from your heart. There was no organs or pianos in the prison cell where Paul and Silas were lifting up their voices, and yet the prison walls opened up in that moment. They were singing from the depths of their soul, and it was a powerful form of worship. On the other hand, we have to be careful because you can be in a quote-unquote powerful moment of worship that's nothing more than an emotional experience if you don't know why you're singing or you don't believe what you're singing. This is the type of worship that the Israelites did when they were dancing around the golden calf. They, they felt like they were worshiping, they were having a good time, but they were in error because they were worshiping in a way that was not honoring God, mainly that they were worshiping an idol. So as we can see from worship, it's, it's so much more than about style. It's about having an authentic content of the heart. And here's the big idea. Fellowshipping with God and worship is the calling and the privilege of every single believer. There is a privilege to get to fellowship with the Lord in moments of worship. And worship is so much more than just singing in a, in a church corporate setting. It's the lifestyle of our heart. And that's exactly what this passage was getting to. The, the people were created to worship. We were created to reflect the image of God and the purpose of God through fellowship with God. We were designed for worship. God was trying to make this clear to the Israelites. He said, I, I rescued you out of, out of Egypt. I rescued you out of slavery. And now here is a purpose, and here's what I'm calling you to do. There are to be seasons, and there will be times throughout the year in which you are to stop, and you're to worship with me. As I said a moment ago, if you've been here the last several weeks, we have seen from the Ten Commandments the foundation of the law. We looked at our responsibilities to our brothers and sisters. And now God's calling us to an even higher level where we look at the patterns and the reasons for worship. And what this teaches us is that when we are rescued out of the sin of our own lives, our natural inclination should be that our heart is tuned to a place where we want to show gratitude to God for what he has done for us. On a global scale, worship is, is about giving your life to something. If you want to know what you're worshiping, all you have to do is look at what you are bowing your knee to. Whatever you bow your knee to is ultimately the focal point of your worship. What that means is, is that we are all worshiping something. And when we're apart from God, when we're far from God, a lot of times our worship is rooted in sin. We are living in sin and we are worshiping at the altar of self. When we steal, we're worshiping at the, the altar of the covetousness of our hearts. When we fornicate, we're worshiping and bending our knee to our own sexual desires. When we're prideful, we're bending the knee to ourselves. When we're workaholics, we're worshiping the dollar or the success. So we're always worshiping something. That's not the question if we're worshiping. The question is, is what are we worshiping? We could go on and on about different possibilities, but that's not the point of this message. It's limitless on the different things that could be capturing our heart. The point of this message is that God is calling us to a place where we say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. He's called us to different points in our life where we stop and we look at the different things that he's done for us and we allow him to touch our hearts and we say, God, thank you for this area of my life. We see four points in the year that God called the people to come together and worship him. These points were holy gatherings, holy convocations where they would gather on a Sabbath or throughout the feasts, and everyone came together for this corporate worship. The question for us this morning is, why should we study the feast if we no longer observe them? 
Well, make no mistake about it. The, the feasts are not for our mimicking today. That, that passed away with Christ. That was fulfilled in Christ. Rather, we look at these feasts because they give us the pattern and the reasons for worship. We study the peace because the feasts because God wants us to walk in such a way that we don't get into error in our worship, but that we're honoring him in a way that shows him glory and shows him honor. When we come together to worship God, we need to have a full understanding of the work of Christ and why we worship so that we do not end up like the pagans. The Christian church is in danger of our worshiping becoming paganistic. Now, that might surprise you. Why would you say that, Austin? How how could Christian worship become paganistic? Well, think about how pagan nations worship. As I said a moment ago, the the people in Malaysia were bringing those offerings because they wanted the favor of the gods on their life. And they were afraid if they didn't bring them that they would be struck down or they'd get a flat tire or they'd end up in financial ruin or countless other tragedies. They were trying to they were trying to make sure the gods shine their favor upon them. And in some ways, what that means is that pagan worship is self-centered. It's all about self. I'm doing this so that it benefits me. I'm doing this so that it helps me. If we're not careful, we can do things worshiping God that become about us. It is one of my pet peeves that some of the modern Christian worship music is really nothing more than self-centered medicine that makes us feel better. We sing songs about how we overcome and how great it is and Many of our worship songs today in, in, in church culture is nothing more than a self-esteem medication disguised as a song of worship to God. And our worship is dangerously close to becoming paganistic because we're looking at humanity's ability to rise up and overcome the troubles that they find themselves in. But when we look at the feast, God eliminates all those possibilities. Every feast points to the work of Christ in our lives. And the feasts teach us to have proper God-centric worship. The feasts teach us that worshiping God is a full life expression that we are surrendering ourselves to. So how are we to worship? Well, the feast gives us the answers for that. I want to show this to you very quickly. First is this. We worship because the work is complete. We worship because the work of God is complete. We worship because the work of Christ is complete. And we are to live that out. The first point of worship out of our passage was that of the Sabbath. The principle that God was giving here was that every seven days, the people were to pause on their work in order to find rest and to focus on the Lord. Furthermore, every seven years, they were to be free. The slaves were to be freed and the fields were to have rest to provide for the poor or to provide for the animals in the area. They were to stop and focus on the Lord. Now, this is a commandment that we probably can all get behind, taking a day off. Amen? Okay, there's two types of people. It's been my observation. There are two types of people. There are people who love a good day off, and then there are people who feel guilty taking a day off. So, let's, by show of hands, how many of you love having a good day off? I mean, you, I mean and when you have your day off, you're going to sit on the couch, and you're not moving. I mean, that's you. Like, that's, that's charity. Charity likes that. Now, how many of you, when you have a day off, you need to be doing something because you feel guilty if you sit there and do nothing? That's me. If you have your hand raised, don't be, don't be ashamed. Raise your hand, okay? We all need help. Here's why, okay? Why do we struggle sitting there? I mean, I, I struggle with that. I, I struggle on, on the days off. We need to be mowing the grass or finding something to do. Why? Because it always feels like there's something that needs to be done. It feels like the work is incomplete. And so I have a hard time finding rest. 
Now, I want you to think about that from the spiritual side. I struggle being free on my days off. And what I've learned is a lot of us as Christians struggle to have peace and rest in our life because we always feel like there's one more thing that has to be done in our life. There's one more thing that God needs to do in our life to make us more like him. We have this this guilt and this condemnation that starts to weigh us down and we never have peace and we never have rest in our life. What we have to see is that we can only have real free worship when we realize that the work of Christ is done in our life. The reason why the Lord told the people to rest on the seventh day was to teach them to trust in the work of God. When you read in Genesis chapter number two, God created everything in chapter one. In the very beginning of chapter two, he says that the scripture says that God looked at his work and then rested on the seventh day because the work was complete. And what Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11 show us is that there's a principle for believers. The reason why God rested on the seventh day was that the work was complete. And what God is trying to say is when you trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, you can have rest. Let me read it to you. Hebrews four, starting verse number nine. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by some sort of disobedience. It's interesting how many times in scripture it refers to the plan of salvation being complete before the foundations of the world. In fact, Revelation says of Christ that he was slain before the foundations of the world. Now, how is that possible? Because we know Jesus didn't live till 2000 years ago. Well, it's possible because God's plan was complete. And God knew exactly how everything was going to work out. He knew exactly the day Jesus was going to be born. He knew the exact day he was going to die. He knew the exact day he was going to rise again. And he knew that no matter what the enemy tried to do, he could not overcome his own plan of salvation for humanity. The devil can't undo God's plan. God's plan is finished. It's final. So when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, the work was done. And here's the point for you and I when it comes to our worship. When we trust in Christ, when we put our faith in him, we can get rid of our old shame. We can get rid of our old condemnation because we know that Christ saves us. He sets us free. It's no longer about our good works. It's no longer about what we can do. It's no longer about us doing more good than bad. Jesus is is the one that saves us and sets us free. And what the scripture says that in him, we have that freedom. So when we put our faith in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees the cross. He sees his righteousness. And we're in the midst of that. In him, we have the hope of heaven. We have healing for our body. We have freedom for our mind. We have provision for our needs. And we have direction for our steps. The work is done. That's why we worship. That's how we can pause. That's how we can sing the song a moment ago. Jesus Christ is our living hope because we do have hope. And the moment that can settle into our hearts, it can change our lives. There's going to be points where we constantly have to remind ourselves that the work of Christ is done in our life. There's going to be points where we have to realize that when we start to feel overwhelmed, we start to feel stressed out. There's going to be moments in our life where we start to get discouraged. We need to have a system in place in our life where we surround ourselves with the people of God and hear them sing and worship back to him. That's why every single week God said, you're going to take a Sabbath rest because you need a reminder from time to time that the work is done. You might've came in here this morning. You didn't have a lot of hope. 
My prayer is that you heard others singing, Jesus Christ is our living hope, that your faith was inspired, that your faith went up a level and a notch. Because I promise you there are people in this room that are singing, Jesus, you're our living hope, that have gone through terrible things where hope was very thin in their circumstance. But they're singing boldly today because they saw God be faithful. And I want you to know that he can be faithful to you as well. That's why we sing, because the work is finished. And when you understand the work is finished, then you can have refreshing. Second, we worship because God has provided salvation. So every week, the people were to pause for a Sabbath day for corporate worship. And then God says, there's three times throughout the year. There was actually a few more, but there was three major feasts throughout the year in which I want you to come together and you're going to bring a corporate worship to me. And these different feasts were teaching the people different things. And the first feast that we're going to look at was the Feast of Unleavened Bread or of the Passover. This feast celebrated the salvation of the people from slavery in Egypt. If you don't know the full story of the Exodus, you can read it in Exodus chapter number 12. But basically, uh, God has sent Moses to Pharaoh and said, you know, let my people go. The Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. Pharaoh hards his heart. God sends nine plagues. Pharaoh is stubborn. He won't listen. And finally, God told Pharaoh, look, I'm about to send one last plague. And I promise you that he's going to let you go after this. And it's the plague of the firstborn. And the plague is pointing to the consequences of sin. And God told Moses, he said, look, everyone is to take a lamb. They are to slaughter the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, and then to go inside and eat the lamb. Now, that seems kind of like a strange, strange plan for us. What was God getting to? He said that evening when death was to come, when death saw the blood, he would pass over that house. Well, we understand that this is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a spotless lamb. His blood was shed for us. When we put our faith in him, we are walking through the doorpost. We are there with Christ, communion with Christ, and death no longer has any victory over our life. And what God was telling the Israelites is do not forget where you came from. How many of you, you've had those live, lived a life where if you were to go back, you say, man, if I had one or two things change, I could have been in a really bad spot. But God's grace saved me from ending up in a place that was just terrible to be in. We've been saved from some things. And what God was calling them to do is you need to remember the most important reason why we worship is not because of what God needs to do in our season right now, but what he did for us 2,000 years ago at a cross. Every year, the Israelites were to remember where they came from and that God provided them salvation. And that's the principle for us. We worship because the lamb provided us salvation by shedding his blood on a cross. Some people sometimes tell themselves, I have no reason to worship. Well, there's always a reason to worship when you believe in the saving faith of Jesus Christ. That raises an interesting question. When was the last time you stopped and you remembered what God rescued you from? Reflecting on life can be really fun sometimes, and it can also be scary. I kind of miss where we used to have the old photo books that we set on, you know, the coffee table that you'd look through. You know, you remember those? I, I saw Patty share uh, their um, their wedding. It looked like it looked like Ronnie came straight out of Saturday Night Fever with his white suit on at their wedding. <laughs> I guarantee you that sucker was dancing at a disco at some point. <laughs> He's not in here. It can be scary to look at some of those old pictures. You're like, man, I hope this never comes back. But when you look, they are coming back too, by the way. I saw those. There was a teenager that came in some pants last week. I was like, last time I saw pants like that was Smokey and the Bandit. You know, I'm, you know the big old flared billboard. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm moving on. Fashion trends come and go. And some of us are like, man, I'm glad we don't go back to that. 
When I was in high school, I, like now my hair is just buzzed short. See, my hair was always buzzed short since I was a little guy because I don't want to do my hair. And as you can tell, I don't really care about my appearance too much. But there was a season there in high school where I thought, you know what, I should probably like take it up a notch. So I was going to try to get a hairdo. And that's when the ski slope thing was, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like the Olympics where they go down to the jumping. That's how my hair looked. It was like, whoosh, like this. It looked like Ace Ventura and Pet Detective. That was my hairdo. I'm glad we got, I got delivered from that. You know what I'm saying? When we look back on life, we got delivered from some things. And it's so cliche to say. The reason why it's cliche is it's true. If God did not do one more thing for any of us, every time we got together, we'd have a reason to sing. Because man, we got saved from some things. Man, we got saved from some things here on earth. But this life is just a blip in eternity. And what we got saved from by suffering the consequences of our own sins. We've been given the glorious opportunity to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Notice how the Israelites were to celebrate the Passover. The Israelites weren't to remember the slavery. They were to remember the night they were rescued. And if you're going to have true worship, you don't remember all the bad things you used to do. You remember the moment you were rescued. You remember the moment that finally the light bulb came into your life and you felt that weight come off of you. What happened in that moment? The chains of bondage of sin fell off your life. Were you perfect? Of course not. We're still not perfect. None of us are perfect. That's not the point. The point is that we're free. And every day we become more like Christ. But we sing because remember the day that God called our name. Our response, then the response of the people according to our passage was that they were not to show up empty-handed. We submit God in offering a worship which is a surrendered life. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. He says, I'm, I'm appealing to you. When you look at the mercy that God has poured out on your life, here's the response. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. True worship that is reflected of us getting saved from slavery of sin is a surrendered life. Some of you might are like, man, I, I, don't, I don't like how I sound when I sing. That's me. Some of you are like, man, I'm just uncomfortable raising my hands. You know, none of that, that could be a form of worship. It can be expression of worship, but true worship is a surrendered life according to that verse. And every one of us is capable of that. Every one of us is saying, God, my life, you gave your life for me, I'm giving my life back to you. Whatever you call me to do, every single day, it's yours. The first form of worship we see, we worship because the work is done. The second, we worship because God has provided salvation. Third, we worship because God has provided us with his word and with his spirit. The third point of worship that we see in our passage was the Feast of the Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. And this feast was held in the correlation of giving of the law. So they're at Mount Sinai right now in our passage. And the feast throughout the year was actually going to coincide with that specific date in which the law was given. 
In other words, every year the nation was going to get together and celebrate the Feast of Weeks to celebrate that time of the year when God had given them the Old Testament law. The people were worshiping because through the law, they knew how to interact and draw near to God. Outside of salvation, I believe one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us is his word because through his word, we know him. We know how to receive salvation. We know the victory that we have in him. We know the plan for our life. All of that can be found here in this word. We worship because God has given us his word. But what's really interesting is also during this feast that was the day of Pentecost when God sent his spirit to start the church and power the believers. We worship because God has provided everything we need. Not only did he save us from something, but he also gave us the plan. He gave us the purpose and he gave us the empowerment to live out for him. This feast always started during the farming season and they were to stop their work during the season and trust God to bring the harvest. That's hard for a farmer to do. It's hard when it's time to harvest because it's time sensitive to throw the brakes on and say, God, I feel like I should be working, but I'm going to trust you to bring the harvest. It's showing us that we have to trust God to bring the spiritual harvest from our life. Sometimes we can look at our life and we can see all the deficiencies in our walk with Christ. And we should strive to be more like Jesus, but we also have to trust that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion when we surrender ourselves to him. That's the balance between works and condemnation. A lot of people feel guilty because they aren't living up to the standard that God has. And I don't live up to that standard. There are areas of my life where God is still working on my heart and refining me. And I hope he never stops. But the balance of it is this, is that God, I know you're going to bring that spiritual harvest because I'm going to continue to live a life of worship and sacrifice to you. So I know at your way, at your time, you're helping me become more like you. And he does that through the word and he does that through the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Reading your Bible and allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word in your life is life changing. That's why Jesus explained the work this way in John 14, starting verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still here, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Lord will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. The Holy Spirit empowers and brings a spiritual harvest in our life, and we worship for that reason. One of the most frustrating things in life is when you get hired to do a job and then you're not equipped to do it. And God in his grace has not only saved us, but then he has equipped us to live out that life of worship to him. The fourth thing I want to show you is this, and if the worship team would like to come back. We worship because we have provision of his presence. The last feast reference in our passage is the feast of booths or the feast of ingathering. It was the end of the year harvest. It was associated with the provision of the Lord in the wilderness. This feast in the context was about the Israelites escaping out of slavery. They escaped out of slavery and then they were traveling through the wilderness. And they were, of course, nomadic. And so they lived in booths or in tents. What the Lord was calling them to remember was the joy, the experience of them traveling towards the promised land. They were in the middle. They were living in the tent. But there was a joy and excitement because they knew that they were going somewhere. They knew where they were headed. One of the funnest days of your year is when you get in the car to leave to go on vacation. You're like, this is awesome. Why? Because we're going somewhere. 
this is exciting. One of the worst days when you get the car to come home, right? You're like, this stinks. I want to stay. Spiritually speaking, we're in the car driving to our destination right now. The Israelites, when they were saved out of slavery, God was leading them to the promised land. He had no intentions of them wandering around in the desert for 40 years. That was because of their own sin. He was taking them somewhere. And so when God's speaking to them, he's telling them, you need to remember this time where I was taking you somewhere because it ultimately reflects where you're eternally going. Listen, right now, we're going through the journey of life. And that can be hard from time to time. From time to time, we're going to have disappointment. From time to time, we're going to have setback. From time to time, people are going to hurt us and they're going to wound us. From time to time, we're going to be in need. And from time to time, we're going to have just rough times financially. We're going to have rough times physically with our health. There are all these different things that life is going to throw at us. And it can feel like our provision's lacking, like we're living in a tent while everyone else is living in a mansion. But the point of this feast was to point them to heaven. And right now, it might feel like all you have is a tent while everyone else has a mansion. But you're going somewhere. There is a promised land that God has for you, and that promised land is on the other side in eternity in heaven. That promised land is where God looks at you, and he wipes every tear from your eye, and there is no more pain, and there's no more death, and there's no more mourning, for those things have passed away. And what you see through all these different aspects of worship that God was calling the people to do, you see that he had everything taken care of. They worship for what he did in the past. They worship because God saved them from slavery. They remember the day of their deliverance. They worship because right here and right now, God has provided everything we need through his word and through his spirit. And we worship because we're going someplace. Do you see how all these feasts tie together? How all these feasts remind us of why we should pause every week and worship? Because God has worked everything out in your life from beginning to the end when you trust in him.